1: Off. run right to the back of him run right to
0: the middle and out the back what's known in football terms as a slam dunk
2: Hey, welcome to Daytime Fireworks. I am your host, Zach Barry. Joining me for our second episode, as uh, everyone seemed to seemed to like it, David. We, we didn't hear any complaints. I didn't get any bad reviews. So uh, the, the results are in. We're back. So welcome. Good morning.
1: Good morning. I was waiting for the call sometime during the week. It's like, yeah, that didn't go like we really planned. So we're going to cut it. But no, it, that didn't happen. So we're back for week two. I feel like Arrested Development when they kept like foreshadowing their their eventual <laughs> cancellation. But uh, if if we end up like Arrested, that's one of my favorite shows of all time. So uh, if if it's if fantastic. we emulate them, we're doing all right. Yeah. Oh, it's great.
2: Yeah. They 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 kind of they kind of ruin it briefly. Netflix played with their food a little bit, and then they kind of rounded it off at the end, and it was better. But yeah, the early seasons is some of the. Some of the best television out there.
1: Oh yeah, and the the running inside gags are oh man are amazing. Like it it really is one of those shows you got to watch them all in order. It was made for, and this was a little before, you know that really started. But binge watching, it's made for binge watching. It's perfect for. It. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, But yeah, I mean as an esteemed Associated Press. Columnists, you know that no news is good news so as long as people are not complaining we're going to keep doing it so um let's jump into let's it let's go week 1 it was um dare i say entertaining you had thursday evening which you you had the likes of Pitt, the, the backyard brawl pit in west virginia was amazing
1: that was a um, great game yeah absolutely
2: i mean everything from the preamble leading up to it where you had <laughs> the the shit talking in the pep rallies and you know keaton slovis is is dropping expletives about west virginia and then you have the 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 inner storyline of two former sc quarterbacks going against each other at their new home i mean the transfer portal just makes things so much more fun in my opinion where you just have these matchups that you never would have had uh if you didn't have the portal but um i mean purdue penn state was was a ton of fun um, for those like myself that enjoy Gus Johnson, um, his calls of, uh, Chuck Sizzle, um, were a lot of fun to listen to, but I mean, Notre Dame, Ohio state was, was great up until the second half when Ohio state just really sat on them. Utah, Florida was amazing. Um, I, I mean, what were your takeaways from week one? It, you know, we, we can't get, can't get too far in the weeds cause you know, it's just one game and that's all we can go on, but what were the things that stood out to you?
1: No, I agree, and the biggest thing was just it it felt fun again, really for the first time since the pandemic. Um, you know, you kind of had that carefree vibe of college football again. I mean, last year you did to, to some degree, but it just didn't, everything just felt kind of weird, I, and this, this, at least to me, felt like the most normal weekend of college football we've had in what two or three years. So it was a lot of fun. Like you said, really good games. Uh, The Pitt West Virginia rivalry has always fascinated me because as someone who prides themselves on geography and liking stuff like that, I, you know, I never really understood how close Pitt and West Virginia were. You know what I mean? You just don't really think about that, the geography of all that, but you look at a map, you can totally understand why they're such big rivals, but you know, it's, it it's a great game and it was a great game this, this week and everything. So um, that as, was a great one. Oh, go as, ahead. I
2: was going to say as someone who has a, a soft spot for West Virginia, not only because country roads is one of the best, probably one of the best songs ever. And then the, 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 you know, countless videos on YouTube of the crowd, all singing it together after a game, um, gives you chills, but I thoroughly enjoyed tormenting people on NCAA football with West Virginia, back when they had Pat white, Steve Slayton, Noel Devine. You could throw in Owen Schmidt in there with a fullback run here and there, but once they implemented the zone read into that video game and you had the capability to go no huddle, it would just drive people insane. Um, so that game, that that backyard brawl when Pitt and and Dave wants that upset that Rich Rodriguez led offense, which they were going to go to the national championship game like that. This was the first time since that game that I felt that it was a fun one.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think for people in uh, Mississippi, if you spent any lengthy amount of time in mississippi there's a lot of similarities with west virginia you know you get a lot of uh, sure you know they they get talked down a lot too there's all this you know from a reporter's perspective it's always like well you know like let's let's report on poverty let's go to west virginia or mississippi (laughs) so like you know that sort of thing
2: a very different campus but a very a gorgeous campus i don't know if you've been there but
1: I've never been on it. I'm sure it is. I mean, that's just a beautiful area of the country anyway,
2: but, uh, and for somebody like me that appreciates public transportation, they have the tram that can take you all through campus. I love that. Um, but yeah, that that game was, was a ton of fun, even if I lost money via gambling in that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, you had it just a, you know, last second drive. You think West Virginia gets it down inside the five. You're going to have a shot at, at, at winning that one come up short but um kind of some sec flavor here what do you think of cincinnati arkansas i i thought that the bearcats hung around made it interesting um but uh k jefferson and company took care of business um but that that luke fickle team i i i, I was surprised at how much they hung around because i think arkansas is going to be pretty good this year
1: yeah, no, I, I kind of thought the same thing. It was one of the few games that actually played out pretty much how I thought it was going to play out. I thought Cincinnati would stick around, and, and they did. That's a pretty good program. And, and Arkansas, what Sam Pittman has done there, that you know, looks like a genius hire even more and more by the day. So K.J. Jefferson was fine, and they pulled that out. So I didn't see as much of that game as some of the others, but you know, Arkansas took care of business and continued a great week for the SEC.
2: That was before we get to Ole Miss, I, I didn't really I'm trying to think of uh some of the other ones that I missed or uh some of the better games. Um, you know, Tennessee takes care of business on Thursday, blows out ball state, which I thought ball state the throwback helmets were really nice, but they didn't pair it with a throwback jersey. They still have their regular jersey as as a uniform aficionado, I didn't I didn't care for that. Um
1: Either go all in or don't do it.
2: Right, yeah. Um, Missouri, a little bit of tinkering, but they uh, ended up beating Louisiana Tech. Uh, South Carolina had a doozy against Georgia State with the Sean Elliott homecoming. Alabama, Georgia took care of business. No big deal, uh, <laughs> even though the Georgia-Oregon game was a top-15 matchup. Um, oh, my
1: gosh, that was – talk about a – that was really one of the few letdowns. You know, it was just – I. I watched like the first, I don't know, quarter of that game. I was like, all right, I've seen enough of this. You know, it was Yeah, I mean the the gap in talent was just Oh it's so oof. massive. Yeah,
2: that was a um that was like a that was like a run roll little league game where you right. just feel bad. you you feel bad right. for the other team. Um <clears throat> a couple uh a couple other ones before we get to Ole Miss. Kentucky held off Miami of Ohio. Um wasn't ever in doubt or wasn't really close, but it took a little bit for Kentucky to get going. Levis and company um, got the offense rolling there at the new OC. Auburn handles Mercer. Vandy had their hands full with Elon for a bit, um, but the Vanderbilt Commodores are 2-0. and oh, and, hey, then hey. Are ho- and then are hosting Wake Forest with Sam Hartman back. I got my eye on that one in terms of gambling. We'll talk about that one in the show this evening on hit that line when we, we give our picks, but Hey, the Phoenix give them props. They hung in there.
1: Yeah. You know, I, Vanderbilt's going to play some close games, unless it's Hawaii, I guess, but um, (laughs) let's, let's see that Elon Hawaii matchup. That's what I want to see now. But uh, yeah. uh, But yeah, I mean, you know, Vanderbilt's got a interesting quarterback, like, you know, I, I think they'll be there are more, the last couple of years, Vanderbilt has just been really bad. And I mean, you know, it's always going to be tough as long as they're in the SEC for Vander, Vanderbilt to be really good. But I do think you could build Vanderbilt into a team that's a real pain in the butt to handle. And, and I think they're yeah. starting to trend, trend a little more in that direction.
2: So real quick on that, and, and then we'll touch on Memphis, Mississippi State. I've said for a couple of years now, and I don't think they're going to do it, but they actually have a quarterback that could. I've said that Vandy just needs to be, you you know, almost stolen valor service academy of the SEC and run the triple option. You're never going to be on par talent wise with anyone. I don't care if it's Missouri or, you know, inner SEC team here that is bad that season they're going to be more talented across the board. I've just always said that that triple option attack just levels the playing field just enough to give you a shot because it's going to be hell to prepare for that week. Everyone hates defending the option. And I just feel like Vandy could find a niche and recruit guys to that scheme. Um, I do think there's actually a decent amount of Tennessee high school programs that still run the triple option and have some decent athletes. I don't know, I mean, I mean, Mike, imagine Mike Wright running some sort of triple option. I mean that would be just hell,
1: yeah, no I, and and you you think of like you know Georgia Tech back in the day kind of did something similar mm-hmm. um, and 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 I think a lot of it for the programs like a Vanderbilt a Georgia Tech is swallowing your pride a little bit and admitting that you will probably never be able to attract the caliber of athletes that you're going to need to go toe-to-toe. Because, you know, people have made the same argument for years about Ole Miss or Mississippi State, you know, that you've got to do something, not necessarily a triple option, but you've got to do something weird, like back air raid, you know, kind of like Mm -hmm. Mississippi State does right now, or you've got to do something weird because you'll never – be able to attract the level of talent. And there's a lot of programs that kind of bristle at that. I I can understand that to a degree. But, uh, you know, it's, you know, playing to your strengths and doing what a Vanderbilt can do. Because I, I do think, you know, you look at the other programs that are similar in a sense of like a Northwestern or a Stanford. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously the academic constraints are going to make Vanderbilt kind of, it's an awesome school, but it's difficult to recruit to in a lot of ways, just because your pool of athletes is smaller than everybody else's. So um, I, I do think there's room for Vanderbilt to be better than they are. And maybe that is the way to go. Like you said, whether it's triple option, whether it's, I I do, I am a fan of, and it's one reason I love college football so much is because there is those variation in offenses and, and complete contrasts and styles that you just don't get in the NFL, um, you know. So I, I think that would probably be a pretty good way to go for Vanderbilt because I, I just don't really see a better option. But I think it is hard for programs a lot of times to kind of turn into a, uh, I don't know, a, a niche football school is the right word but just sort of a what am I trying to say here just sort of a I mean just the underdog like a, well the underdog but just almost like a gimmick that's what I'm talking about like a gimmick offense you know nobody wants to be oh yeah, everybody yeah. wants especially when it comes to football everybody wants to be the team that goes toe-to-toe wins in the trenches has the bigger stronger guys and the better athletes I mean that's just kind of a the macho world of, of high-level sports and football in general. But I, at Vanderbilt, they just don't have that very often. So, like I said, something like the triple option or something different to where, again, like you said, other teams have to prepare for them and it makes it a pain, I think, might be the best way for them to go. Sort of like a – you know, wasn't Willie Fritz doing that at, at 2 eight a little bit? You know, some of those guys, I mean, maybe something like that.
2: He Yeah, he, he would throw in some wrinkles. Um, and, I mean, heck, I, I don't know if you remember um... – Louisiana Monroe you know they ran the fun row offense where they had two quarterbacks on the field at the same time one was left-handed one was right-handed
1: oh wow I don't I don't remember that one but yeah Yeah. I mean you know if I I I just think if you're going to go into one of those jobs you've got to be willing to try some things because if you again if you go into Louisiana Monroe or Vanderbilt or and just say we're going to line up with Alabama and try to push them around I mean that's just not going to work so I do understand the pull of of wanting to do something different to maybe have an advantage.
2: All right, last thing here before we hit the break: uh, Memphis Mississippi State uh, had a extensive weather delay, but uh, Will Rogers, uh, ho hum, four hundred fifty yards, five touchdowns, I believe. See there, I don't know if it was a school record or if it was a record for a single a uh, single game record for him in passing yards. Um, Handled Memphis with ease at home, despite the delay and the weather and the rain. Um, do we? How do we feel about this Mississippi State team after just one game? I know there were some question marks, replacing Charles Cross at left tackle, or pre- replacing some defensive guys. Um, Will Rogers another year in that system? Looks like he didn't miss a beat.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, and and this is the argument. This is a good segue to go from the Vanderbilt uh, issue and, and kind of like gimmick type offenses. Although I, I, the air raid is not seen as nearly the gimmick that it was even probably five years ago. But you're you're looking. Mike Leach is starting to get that thing rolling at Mississippi State, starting to get it rolling like he did at Washington State at Texas Tech, and they're going to be a really tough team to prepare for. They're going to win a lot of games, but are, you know, is their ceiling eight and four, you know, or nine and three in the SEC? Can they really pull it off against an an Alabama, against a Georgia, against a team, even a Florida or somebody like that? Because there's no doubt Mississippi state's going to pile up yards. They're going to score points and they're going to win some games. It's just, you know, our, where can that get you? Is there a ceiling Hmm. on that? I, I think is, is what, if I were a state fan, I would be, I would look at that Memphis game and I'd be really pleased with obviously what I saw. It's fun. Will Rogers, like you said, hasn't missed a beat. Looks like he's really comfortable in that offense. Uh, Thomas looks like a really good receiver. I I mean, they're going to be a handful on offense. It's just, Mm -hmm. I, I think the overarching question of Mike Leach's, really his career, he can coach offensive football and he can take these underdog programs like the Texas Techs, the Washington States, and make them really good competitive programs in those conferences. But can you actually like win a division with a, you know, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, and different things yeah. like that? So I, I think that's, I, I need to see more from Mississippi State before I'm, you know, convinced they're, you know, ready to maybe take that step. But they're, They're going to be fun, and they're going to be a handful. And they're—it's not the triple option, but it is a pain to deal with. And you know, you got to be ready for it when they come to town. All
2: right, we're going to take our first break. On the other side, we're going to talk Ole Miss and Troy. Get David's thoughts on uh, how Jackson Dart's debut went and uh, what stood out to him from the Rebels. So hang tight. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Lamar Yard, Oxford's indoor-outdoor restaurant, bar, and entertainment space on South Lamar. They now have an updated menu with non-barbecue options from Tex-Mex to Mississippi Delta Catfish to smash burgers. And you can contact Lamar Yard for your private events for the spring and summer. They have a dedicated event coordinator who will help you plan your event from start to finish, and they offer on-site catering weddings to Greek parties or corporate events Lamar Yard is the perfect place to host your next party. Lamar Yard is Oxford's quintessential family and pet friendly venue and they look forward to hosting you soon. Check them out at lamaryard.com and if you want a place for clever dishes and captivating cocktails look no further than So Wild and South Lamar. Chef Erica and her committed team of food and beverage enthusiasts are bringing top-notch cuisine and libations to you six days a week. Whether it's happy hour three to six, fresh squeezed margaritas, ramen, two for one with Moscow mules, all of that more. The best and brightest in-house or via curbside pickup. Check them out, solaoxford.com or call them at 662-238-3500 and place your order today. Show also brought to you by Memphis restauranteur Kelly English and his restaurant group in Memphis, Tennessee. The renowned chef and his team are offering nationwide shipping and virtual cooking classes with Cooking with Kelly. of the wide plush always Fairways and large championship Bermuda greens. They've got two putting greens to hone in your game with the flat stick, the driving range, and a chipping green to tighten up that short game. Book a tee time online at olivebranchgolf.com or give them a call at 662-893-4444. And we are back here on daytime fireworks Zach Barry David Brent here with you all right David going into the game the headline was the quarterback competition who was gonna get the start Jackson start gets the uh Jackson start Jackson dart gets ja- the start ja- Jackson start gets the dart I like that. yeah um it was it was a decent game uh 18 for 27 154 yards had the uh the bad interception but uh also had a touchdown pass and um Operated within the offense. It was pretty methodical. Um, not too many deep shots. Troy was pretty much dropping seven or eight the entire game to avoid the big play. But um to me, what stole the show? The defense played outstanding. Um, Gunnar Watson for Troy had a QBR of under 47, threw the ball 47 times, but just for 275, a touchdown and a pick. Um Defense was, was great, but probably the one takeaway from one game was, uh, the running game and, uh, Zach Evans, Clinshaw Judkins, um, really toting the rock.
1: Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was really more of a, just a methodical performance that I think, you know, sometimes, especially these early games, it's always fun to you know, can I have a Mississippi State-type performance, throw the ball all over the place, score 60 points. But there were some things to really like. Like you said, Zach Evans looks really good. Uh, Jenkins is another really good back. Jackson Dart was always going to have a tough time following Matt Corral just because he was such a dynamic quarterback. But, uh, again, I I think what's good for Ole Miss right here, and I think this is going to turn into a theme, obviously all these teams all across the country – I think half the teams in Division One have a USC transfer at quarterback, but uh, (laughs) but to be serious, there's a lot of teams with a lot of moving parts and a lot of new guys, and it's going to take them a couple games to get their feet under them. So you know, Jackson Dart was fine. He, you know, he didn't blow me out of the water, but he, like you said, it was methodical. I didn't think it was a bad performance. It was a good start for the first game, but can your defense carry you? through a couple of these games where you're kind of finding yourself offensively, maybe getting a little bit of a rhythm. And I I think with Ole Miss, that was a really good start as far, especially defensively with the running game. They Mm. can at least it look like they can control tempo when they need to slow it down, get those, you know, tough yards of the running game. And that can be a real weapon. So you you do want to see the passing game take a couple steps forward here in the next week or two, but I I really – I know some people weren't overly impressed with Ole Miss, but I, I thought it was fine. I think Troy is usually a pretty solid program. You know, that's not a pushover type thing. And I think an 18-point win, especially when you're breaking in a new quarterback and, and so many new positions, that's fine. I, I thought, you know, I if, if I were an Ole Miss fan, I, I wouldn't get super excited, but I also wouldn't be upset. I think this is pretty what you wanted to see week one and hopefully you keep moving forward.
2: Yeah. A lot of, a lot was made about gelling that locker room with all of the transfers meshing in with a ton of young talent. We saw Judkins had himself a hell of a day, kind of introduced himself to the country. He was, uh, I saw pro football focus had him rated the second highest of any running back in the country, right behind tank Bigsby. Um, so that's pretty good. I I was trying to tell people during his recruitment, um, and we we had some meetings about, um, you know, going through the rankings and evaluating, and and I made my pitch for Judkins to to get that four star bump. Um, he was really close, unfortunately didn't get it, but I think uh he he turned some heads on Saturday, and it, you know it kind of makes sense now when Lane Kiffin went over to Legion Field all by himself in that damp. Wet cold state championship game to watch Judkins. Um, you can kind of see why he made the drive over there and sat there by himself and watched him because he looked the part on Saturday. Um, defensively, though, I think that was the that was the another big storyline. I mean, you had to transfer in uh, in Kari Coleman from TCU um, that had a couple sacks and tackles for loss. He was all over the place during that game, and then the defensive line um, they may not have the. The frontline blue chip names, but they were deep and they were active. Um, JJ Pegues, the uh, the local product that went to Auburn. he was in the in the mix. he He had a big hit, um, dislodged the helmet from the Troy quarterback and then um, other guys, Jared Ivy from Georgia Tech was in there. Um, it, it was kind of a it, just a very impressive performance, albeit against Troy. For new co-defensive coordinators Maurice Crum and Chris Partridge, it was a it was a heck of a debut.
1: Yeah, and I mean, just again, you're kind of looking for how things feel. It looked like an SEC defense, you know what I mean? And that's a that's a compliment, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, it, you know, they we tackled all know, really well, right? We all know after watching twenty plus years of SEC football, thirty plus years for some of us, you know, like you know what an SEC defense looks like when you see it and i i thought this one looked like what they like you said they tackled well they were fast they hit hard they did all the things you would expect them to do against a team like troy and now you you try to take step for, steps forward moving you know through these next couple weeks but um, again, again a good start i don't you know i'm not going to go overboard on all this but i i thought it was totally fine and i thought there was a lot of things to to like
2: going into week 2 Central Arkansas comes to town, night game at Vaught-Hemingway. Luke Altmeyer is getting the start. Kiffin kind of using these two as quasi-preseason games to evaluate the, the quarterback position. Altmeyer got in late against Troy. Um, I, I believe he might have thrown three passes, four passes. He didn't really get um, – no, only two. Uh, so he didn't get much because they were just running the ball so effectively. He's going to get his chance to, to make his pitch to the coaching staff. And then um, we'll see what they do heading into uh, Georgia Tech on the road uh, in Week Three. So, um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a weird thing that I, I tell Ole Miss fans, like, "Hey, 433 yards of total, um, you know, total offense, total yards. Um, ran the ball extremely well, averaged six yards of carry. Turned the ball over three times, which, as Kiffin said in the in the in the post game, you're not going to win a lot of games doing that, but." Um, yeah, it it's hard to complain with a game where you you win handedly, it's never in doubt and no one really gets hurt.
1: Right. And I mean we've we've seen a lot of years with Old Miss, you know, where games like this were in doubt. So it's, you know, I, I think yeah. you, you kind of uh, I I don't know, counter blessings, that sort of thing. But I, I think Old Miss has some problems, but they're problems they can work with.
2: Yeah, for sure. All right, we're going to take our last break before we get into uh, our uh, third and final segment that I think is going to be pretty fun. Uh, I'm excited for this one. So uh, you're going to want to stick around on the other side of the break and uh, hear what we have to discuss here on Daytime Fireworks. So quick word from the sponsors and we'll be back. Podcast also comes to you thanks to Bluff City Advisory Group, Memphis' leading team of finance professionals. They can provide advanced assistance with financial planning, pension and qualified plan support, and business and estate planning strategies. Former Ole Miss Rebel and founding partner Ben Still, along with his elite level customer service team, make it their goal to help you meet the ongoing demands of your financial needs. Learn more about them at bluffcityadvisory.com. Podcast brought to you by the Barry Home team you're ready to sell and make the most net profit from your home, call Stacy and Rick Barry today. They will lead you through the process from property assessment, repairs, staging, and putting that sold sign in your yard. Both have earned the multi-million dollar club member status, and they would love to assist you today in your real estate ventures. Call them, 481-6420 or 901-461-6421. After you have talked to the Barry home team, You can talk to Saddle Creek Title, another proud sponsor of the show. They're the Mid-South's leader in client-focused, innovative closing solutions. Neil Hanna and his team are more than just a real estate closing firm. They are dedicated to going the distance to ensure the ease and growth of your real estate business. Find more information at saddlecreektitle.com or call them 901-753-1600. Show brought to you by Davis McCord State Farm. If you're looking for good neighbor service and surprisingly great insurance rates, look no further than Davis and his team. They are your one-stop shop in Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, and Mississippi for the service you deserve at the price you want. So stop looking around. Give Davis a call. He is ready to help. 901-755-6110. And get your surprisingly great rates today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
0: Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app.
2: And we are back here on daytime fireworks. All right. So I I threw this one at you before we uh, hit the record button. Um, I I knew that you were, you were privy to the, the Ed Orgeron era at Ole Miss. Um, As you told me before we started, you got there at the tail end, um, got to get the full Coach O experience. And then in the, uh, coaching search that followed you were uh covering that as well for the clarion ledger but um coach o made some quote headlines this week um and as i'm pulling this up here to get the quote i i I pulled this up on golf digest of all places um (laughs) he was uh he was at a little rock touchdown club meeting don't know why um but you know he's enjoying his retirement i i I assume um but um he was talking with, and I can't see who it was that he was sitting down with here, but there is a tweet out there. You can find it. Steve Sullivan is who tweeted the video at Sully7777. Um, but they asked him, you know, how, how life has been during retirement. And um, he said, you know, they they told me, uh, this, this is what it is, quote, they told me that I had 17 million remaining on the contract and they would give me every last penny. If I walked away quietly or, or drawn responded, what time do you want me to leave and what door you want me out of brother? <laughs> uh, Which, which is just a, just a fantastic quote. Um, So I was discussing with some friends yesterday about that and just, you know, his time at Ole Miss and and somebody was like, Well, what was his buyout at Ole Miss? And I looked it up. Um you can probably remember if I'm if I'm wrong here, but I'm pretty sure I have this correct. Um he was making I believe 900 k per year and he got that's correct. I think it was 65% of his salary. Might have been it might have been 75%, but basically the buyout was I think 650K So, not the $17.1 that he got from LSU, but in that article, they had, you know, kind of the timeline of the hire for Ed Orgeron and, you know, who was in the mix leading up to it. Um, You could probably help me here. I believe some of the names were. um, Rick Newhazel was the big one, Um, but...
1: Yeah, I'm trying to get, like, I'm thinking... Cause I get my Orgeron and my Houston nut searches mixed up, but you know, like, <laughs> t- <laughs> I mean, there was, there was, you know, one of the Bowden's was in there at some point, I think. Uh, Terry Bowden, I, I think. Uh, who else was in? I remember with the Houston nut search that Ole Miss kind of zeroed in on him pretty quick. That was a quick search. It was like, 36 hours and it was done, which was very nice because I was a 26 year old reporter who had no idea what I was doing as far as a coaching search. Um, Yeah, I was I was praying for a quick resolution there. So I just didn't get exposed too much on how little I knew. (laughs) I had been on the beat for, I guess, three months when all that happened. So yeah, it's just to me, you know, throwing out those numbers, 900,000, 600,000. And at the time, it's just kind of a, a slice of where the sec has gone over the past 15 years this was in 2007 mm-hmm. and you know we're talking you know orgeron making nine we we're talking like that's crazy money 15 years later that's like receivers coach money and i'm exaggerating slightly but that is coordinator money you know and, and head coaches yeah. are making you know five ten times that you know, even at old Miss and things like that. That's when, you know, that was slightly before the SEC network. That was before the money really came pouring in. there was going to be a, a seismic shift in the next couple years. But, um, yeah, that was, that was a wild time just right, so generally I've, speaking in the SEC. So I found it.
2: So this is from Ross Dellinger, um, wrote this in 2017. Um, at uh, the Advocate, and it's like the the story behind him getting hired, and so he said that Rick Neuheisel had actually memorized the hottie Toddy chant, and he was um, going to Dallas to go meet with the Ole Miss administrators, and you know for the for the interview for the job. And, you know, this was coming off, this was back when Rick Neuheisel was a big deal. You know, he had led Colorado and Washington.
1: Washington, yeah. Um,
2: They were top five. Um, He had eight combined seasons at those two stops. Um, And so, yeah, so he drove to the Seattle airport, got a flight to Dallas, and uh, then his phone rang, and it was Pete Boone, and told him that the interview was canceled. And... They had, you know, I don't I don't think he told him this, but you know, obviously they were zeroing in on Ed Ordron. But um some of the other names on this list of the, the coaching search, so you had um Ron Zook, uh Dennis that's, Erickson.
1: That's a, it's a blast from the past.
2: Yeah, Ron Zook, so yeah, was at Illinois, you know, back when they had um you know, Juice Williams, Richard Mendenhall, that team. Um Right. Dennis Erickson, who at the time was the 49ers coach. Um, Then Miami, D.C., Randy Shannon was on the list as well. But they ended up getting Ed Ordron. And so I wanted to ask you and get your thoughts because I don't don't really have an answer, but I just want to pick your brain first and then maybe I can have one. But what do you think the trajectory of the program, or I don't even know if it's possible to speculate, but how in the world would Ole Miss be different if they had just gone through and hired Rick Neuheisel at the time?
1: Well, it would almost certainly have taken a a huge turn just because I do think New Heisel would have lasted more than three years. And so at that point, you obviously missed the Houston nut train, which then you probably missed the Hugh Freeze train. So I, I do think the kind of the chaos theory, when, when one thing changes, it changes a lot of stuff moving forward. I don't necessarily think Old Miss as a program would be any better off or worse off in 2022. But I I do think it would have been a totally different direction. But I, I think in some ways, as as painful as the Orgeron years were to watch sometimes from a football standpoint, because I think all of Orgeron's – Orgeron is like most coaches. He has a lot of good traits, and he has some bad traits too, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately for Ole Miss, it was kind of like early Lane Kiffin. You got most of the bad traits because you were a young coach. You were making a lot of mistakes. But I do think it kind of forced Ole Miss into the the recruiting era, you know, the rivals era, four stars, five stars. I mean, you know, at at the time that was, you know, wasn't Orgeron recruiter of the year for like USC back in like 2005 or six. I mean, that's what all this was. I, I do think the Orgeron hire, even though it wasn't super successful, obviously on the field, he brought in talent that Houston Nutt was able to use. And then, you know, it kind of snowballs with Hugh freeze. And obviously over the years with Ole Miss, there have been some ups and downs in the programs, but there's been a lot of high points. Um, and so I, I, think that, you know, looking back the Orgeron hire was probably ill conceived and a little too early for what he could bring. But I, I think in some ways it it kind of made Ole Miss what it is today.
2: Yeah. I mean, Honestly, that's a, that's a great point because yeah, I mean, he was there with, with Pete Carroll when they were bringing in, you know, guys like Taylor Mays and and Brian Cushing and, and those defenses that were so stout and they were nationally ranked and they were really good and they were winning a ton of games. Um, so yeah, I think it's hindsight here. We can criticize it because it didn't work. Um, but yeah, I mean, they rolled the dice on bringing in someone that was a tenacious recruiter, was young, and it's hard to argue when a guy like Pete Carroll, who at the time was was the guy in college football, was was advocating to to hire this guy. Um, right.
1: right, exactly. Like you've you've really got to understand the climate of why, and I just think you know because Ole Miss had been kind of a a safe program up into that point, you know, David Cutcliffe is a great coach, but he was kind of a safe hire, you know, and before mm-hmm. that you had, you know, just a bunch of guys who were, were pretty safe. And then I think with Ed Orgeron was the first time you really stepped out, did something kind of different. And then, yeah, you sort of take a step back with Houston Nudd as far as, and I don't mean as a program, I mean just as far as kind of going with a safer pick, but I think that laid the groundwork for Hugh Freeze later you know, who obviously for all his faults could coach football, Um, you know, and and then even with Lane Kiffin, I mean, I think it's a program now, 15 years later, I think Orgeron was the beginning of kind of turning Ole Miss into a, I don't know if cutting edge is the right word, but an interesting program that wasn't afraid to take chances. And I think for, for years, just kind of the, the ethos of, of Ole Miss was sort of, you know, for better, or for worse, old school, old South, you know all that stuff, and I, I think Ed Orgeron kind of helped pull them out of that a little bit.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, he clearly recruited well, laid the groundwork for Houston Nut to come in those first couple of years. He had some really talented teams. I mean, you look at that that 2008 team that won the 09 Cotton Bowl. I think eight nine. Oh, there's so many
1: NFL players, ten guys that.
2: Yeah, like that made an NFL roster, and some of them had careers. I mean, careers. like the
1: entire the entire defensive line made the pros. Like, I mean, yeah, like yeah. every single one of them played. You know, Greg Hardy, Parade Jerry, Emmanuel Stevens. You know, I remember that team. That defensive line was so good. They had on the third string, they had a guy named Lamarck Arbor, who was a pretty good player and helped them and stuff like that. Yeah. And they that was as deep of a defensive line as I've covered, at least in Mississippi.
2: Yeah, Jarrell Poe was on that on that oh, roster. Yeah. Um, you know, Patrick Trahan, Ashley Palmer, Kendrick Lewis, Jamarcus Sanford, uh, Marshay Green. I mean, that defense alone. And all
1: those guys, Sanford, Kendrick Lewis played in the pros for the Chiefs yeah. for a couple of years. Like all those, Ashley Palmer played for the Bills. Um, yeah, I mean, they had – it was a crazy amount of talent. And, you know, it took Houston not coming in – to harness that talent a little bit but there's there's no doubt that ed orgeron did some of the things he said he was going to do and, and the biggest one was recruit yeah but i think
2: your point about how Olness miss was kind of the the safe conservative with not only the scheme and and the staff but just the approach to football and right new
1: they were new- fine being like the the eighth place team in the SEC, as long as they can win some games, yeah. have the party and the Grove, go five and seven or six and six or seven and five and make an independence bowl. I mean, that was kind of what Ole Miss was at that point, other than obviously the Eli years and the cotton bowl and all that stuff. But generally speaking, but I, I think that because if you had gone with Rick Neuheisel, that's sort of in the same mold of a David Cutcliffe. I mean, the different schemes and stuff like that, but of, of sort of a safe pick, a business-like approach. You know, mm-hmm. I, I do think, and, and it's interesting that we're talking about this because it's making me think a little bit, but I, I do think for better or for worse, Orgeron pushed them into big boy football. If you want to, you know, I mean, they at that yeah. point you knew Ole Miss was trying. They might've screwed up and it didn't work out, you know, with, with Orgeron for a couple of those years. But I think Ole Miss at that point made a decision that we're going to try here. And, and we're going yeah. to try to do some cutting edge things. They might work. They might not, but we're not going to be simply content to sit here and go six and six.
2: Well, you look at and I pulled it up just cause I was curious. Cause I knew he was a, a good head coach, but wasn't quite sure how good. I mean, his first two years at Colorado in 95, 96, he goes 10 and two. He went to a cotton bowl. They went to a holiday bowl. Top, uh, top five his first year uh, in the AP and then top 10, uh, his second year down year 97, five and six. Then he goes eight and four 98 and wins the Aloha bowl. So 33 wins in four seasons in Boulder, then goes over to Washington seven and five in year one, lose in the holiday bowl 2000. They go 11 and one win the Rose bowl. Um, have a share of the Pac 10 title at the time with, if you know this, I will, I will applaud you. Do you know who they shared the Pac-10 title with that year?
1: Sounds like one of those weird years. Let's say Oregon State. Oh, my gosh. Look at that. Look at just unbelievable. <laughs> you, like, well, you gave it away. When you said I'd never figured out, I was like, that's got to be the Oregon State year. Because <laughs> like, be, there was that year. It gotta was gotta like that Beavers. year that out of nowhere where Kansas was really good under Mangino for like two seconds. Yeah. like That's sort of the Oregon State thing. I remember that.
2: Yeah, um, a, a number four, Oregon State. Um, uh, so yeah, both finished seven and one in the conference. I don't know how they. Uh, well, okay, here's the tiebreaker because Washington beat them, thirty-three thirty, uh, early in the year. But yeah, so wins a Rose Bowl his second year, goes eight and four in two thousand one, seven and six in two thousand two. Um, so not picked up after he leaves Washington. Ole Miss doesn't pick him up. Then he goes to UCLA in 2008 and uh, goes 21 and 29 there before um, getting the boot. But yeah, I mean, maybe you get him at the right time where he is still, you know, he's not kind of in the, tw- you know, in the, in the twilight years of his career where he's kind of got it in cruise control. Maybe he's still hungry to recruit and still hungry to to put together a staff. I mean, we'll never know, but it is pretty pretty wild that, Ole Miss turned down a guy that won a Rose Bowl, and had two years where he won ten games at Colorado, which is a—I mean, since the early '90s—is a place that you don't win. Um, no,
1: yeah. for
2: a young Cajun defensive line coach, I mean, just just no, a absolutely. wild, wild turn of events with with Pete Boone. But you know,
1: well, well, especially the, and it wasn't just Pete Boone. If you were, if I remember correctly, you know, Robert Kaya had a big big role in hiring ed orgeron and basically he you know for better or for worse like in a, in a totally manly way had a crush on orgeron you know i remember him saying he just he just looked like a football coach and that's what he wanted to hire um, <laughs> you know and everybody was just like what do you mean he looks like a football coach like like what does that even mean uh, but you know i i just remember some of the conversations i used to have with people you know uh I used to talk all the time with Dexter McCluster. He's such a good guy, gave me plenty of time. And I I remember asking him one time, I was like, you know, because Dexter was a fairly cerebral guy. He's a smart guy. Mm. Um, And I'd be like, how did Ed Orgeron walk into your house in Florida and you say, hey, I want to leave South Florida and go to Oxford and play for this guy. Like, how did that happen? You know, because it just seems so out of character. He's like, it's it's hard to understand because he's – he said, sometimes I feel the same way, like, how did this happen? But, you know, when Orgeron came into your house, he was so fired up. He said, you know, by the time he left, you would run through walls for him. And your entire family would, too. Like, he was an incredible motivator. Like, you know, and I remember the stories of Jarrell Poe saying when Orgeron recruited that they were doing defensive line drills and tackling each other over the couch. And everything like that. Can you imagine that two three hundred pound men, like in Waynesboro, <laughs> Mississippi, like flying around Jarrell Poe's living room, showing technique on defensive line and stuff like? that. I mean, but that's that's what, and that was so fresh back then, and everything that not a lot of coaches did that. But I mean, he was a he was a player's coach at least in the recruiting process, and then things bogged down a little later. But you know, he again for all of. Ed Orgeron has some rough traits, but man, he, the energy he recruited with back in the day, um, all those things, I, I just what a what an era that was for all this football.
2: Well, you, you mentioned, you know, running drills with Poe in his living room. Well, I'm reading this this story from Ross Dellinger in The Advocate. I mean, Ed Orgeron was getting Pete Boone in a three-point stance in the hotel room in Dallas to like simulate football drills. And oh, yeah. Pete Boone, you know, said, quote, I th- you've got to be kidding. Me. Like, I'm not sure why he chose that way of, of doing the interview, but, um, and, and you were right. Robert Kayat did have a hand in, and I was reading on here. So it was Pete Boone, Robert Kayat, then As- associate athletic director, Walker Jones and George Smith, we um, were part of the search committee. And so Ron Zook did the phone interview and then accepted the Illinois job the day after. Um, so he was off the board. And then Kayat basically said no to Neuheisel because of the, at the time, the lingering wrongful termination lawsuit that Neuheisel had filed against the NCAA in, in Washington. Uh, regarding the march madness pool um to say
1: like talk about things that seem like you know (laughs) quaint like getting fired over a ncaa office pool
2: yeah i mean just unbelievable just example (laughs) example number 475 of the ncaa is a joke um so yeah so pete boone said that they did all the work to make sure he was cleared and everything was fine but Robert Kyatt was just never comfortable with it. So, yeah, he absolutely had a hand in, in, in Ed Orgeron becoming the head coach at Ole Miss. So just a, a wild, fascinating story that I, I, I guess I just don't remember all these details, but
1: Well, but it's yeah. something, uh, a, a thing that you said in there that fascinates me too. Ron Zook took the Illinois job over yeah. Ole Miss. Do you think that happens, 15? And, and this is no, this isn't a rip on Illinois or anything like that, but I, I I don't think that happens now. I think Rod Zook waits to see what happens with Ole Miss.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, mean, you're not picking Illinois over Ole Miss today.
1: Yeah, I don't. I think that's, you know, when we talk about like the desirability of jobs and how things have changed over the last 10 or 15 years, I think that is really, you know, if, if you put that in perspective, I do think 15 years ago you could understand why Rod Zook would be like yeah you know and kind of weighing them back and forth you know can you win at all this you know yeah illinois is not an amazing program but they've had some recent success you know like that sort of thing like it was a real decision back then and now i don't i'm not sure that's really as big of a you know what i mean i, I don't think that's yeah. a very close decision anymore
2: no not at all um of course the the article ends with some quotes from from ed orgeron about uh chicken on a stick and going to chevron and how he thought that was the coolest thing which is just perfect
1: oh yeah that's right up his alley
2: but and and the thing
1: with him leaving you know you were talking about the little rock touchdown club and him leaving i never thought i would see the day where i don't know if ed orgeron was burnt out but i i think he to a degree lost his passion a little bit you know what i mean and i never thought Mm -hmm. that would really happen with him because you you saw like down the stretch with lsu he he seemed totally fine with what was transpiring you know what i mean and i guess if if you're ed you're always gonna be a legend in louisiana you won a national title which you you talk about if you had (laughs) you talk about gambling and losing all your money if you had told me in 2008 Ed Orgeron will win a national championship. I would have bet all of my money that I ever had and would ever bet. I I I would have pushed (laughs) all in for my entire life that that would not happen. I have never been a surprised. Mark this down. I have never been surprised by anything in my life, other other than my wife actually deciding to to marry me, you know, and stuff like that. But like other than that, probably the most surprised thing. I've ever been in my life is Ed Orgeron winning a national title. That's that's incredible. And all credit to him, he did it. And not only did he win a national title, but he had one of the best teams of all time. That team is going to go down as one of the best, you know, I mean, is it the best team in the last 20 years? I mean, you can make that argument.
2: Yeah. It's yeah. That team is definitely up there with, with the, the Matt Leinert, USC team, um, Vince Young's it's, team it's, at Texas, um, of Miami's Alabama's 2001.
1: Teams. Yeah. yeah, of Alabama's very, very best teams, you know, like the, the A.J. McCarrens, like the, that sort of thing. I mean, it's in the it's on the Mount Rushmore of the last 20 or 30 years of college football. And so Ed Orgeron's always got that going for him. But I, I just always thought it was kind of fascinating that I, I think he got a little burnt out, and I never really saw that coming with him.
2: Yeah, I yeah, for a guy that that dips coffee grounds and shotguns Red Bull, you definitely thought that energy was never going to be an issue. But no, um, being
1: being offered a Red Bull in Ed Orgeron's office was was a was a high achievement for twenty six year old David Brandt. That was <laughs> <laughs> that was good times. But yeah, it's you know I'm glad to see because Ed, I I do think as wild and different as he was was a little misunderstood like I always thought he was a pretty good guy like he always treated me really well I've always for years and years afterwards I could contact him and and talk to him about things you know with football and everything and he gave me really good insight on a lot of stuff and you know I just you know it's 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 amazing how careers develop and and move forward
2: oh man back in the day when uh I guess it was what what was he hired? 2004.
1: Orsron was hired in 2004 because he coached the 05, 06, and 07 seasons.
2: Yeah, and man. Then, uh, I do remember enrolling as a student and, and being very excited about uh, what, what did they, I'm trying to remember. It, he was after the like Rebel Express ad campaign where they had the, the train, or maybe that was him, but. Um, Yeah, I mean, through all his faults, he he generated excitement, by God. Oh, he he
1: was out there. And like I said, I think that he kind of pushed Ole Miss into the the 21st century as far as, you know, recruiting, rival, you know, all that stuff, the stars. And and they made – I remember because, you know, Orgeron would recruit and try to get the guys he got at USC, and he missed on a lot. I mean, as many Mm -hmm. guys as he brought to campus – he missed on a ton too, but I mean, that was the first time that Old Miss was even in the conversation for some of those guys. Like, I think, you know, before then, especially under Cutcliffe, like Ole Miss just didn't recruit those guys. They didn't think they could get them and they didn't waste their energy with them, but Ed Orgeron did. And, and I think it kind of gave Ole Miss the confidence to move forward and and play that, you know, be in that top 20 mix where you're willing to try to go get those five stars. So And like I said, it it was not an even road to get there. There was some some twists and turns, but I do think Ed Orgeron, with the benefit of hindsight, was a net positive for old miss.
2: Well, that just exhilarating ride down memory lane brings us to a close here on Daytime Fireworks. What a ride. We ought to
1: change. Yeah, we ought to change the name to two guys with head colds. Next, yeah. time, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get this. Uh, I, I sound even more nasally than normal. So for all the people that that, that went through this 50 minutes, thanks for sticking with me.
2: Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I don't know. You don't have an excuse. I mean, I got young kids, so they 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 get all the crud. I'm, for you, and you're out there in that dry climate. I don't know. You gotta you gotta get that figured out.
1: Right now. Well, and my wife's a teacher, so she brings everything oh, well, that's being passed around this or Arizona is, is being passed around the bread household. So,
2: <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this edition of daytime fireworks. Thanks to David as always for coming on and, uh, regaling us with tales of, of coach O and thanks to you, the listener for tuning in. And of course, thanks to the sponsors for making the show possible. We'll be back next week with another episode recapping week two. And, uh, we'll, we'll try to, uh, we'll try to come up with some other, some other kind of, uh, memory lane for uh, David Brandt to take us down. But that is going to do it until next week. We out.
0: This is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall. He knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working. The HVAC is humming and his facility shines.